Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 108 of our 120-day Upper Room prayer campaign. And today we're going to repent of promoting value onto the things that impress men and look deeply into scripture to see, is God really impressed with it? Then we'll see what truly is pleasing to him and commit to walk in it. So I'm going to pose a series of questions to you today and then we'll see what the Bible has to say about it so that we'll know in what manner we ought to pray to pray in agreement with God's will and his word at the end of it. And the first question that I want to present is do you think that God is impressed with what you've been through, with what you've endured, or with what you have done? And to that I commit that our sacrifice cannot compare to his. Now understand what I'm saying. God is pleased when we walk things out in faith. And we understand that the scripture says that obedience is better than sacrifice. But at the same time, sometimes obedience is sacrifice. For Christ, that was surely the case. And for many of the biblical patriarchs, they went through great deals of suffering to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. And we understand that the word of God says that all who will live godly will suffer persecution. So God is quite pleased and he even promises great blessings in eternity for those who humbly walk through these things. But the question that I'm posing to you today is do you think That because of what you've been through, he owes something to you. Because sometimes I think we all fall guilty of this. We think that our own suffering and our own faithfulness to him warrants us some form of entitlement. And I think that many times the enemy uses it to allow envy or offense or contention to slip in. And that he may speak in our ear and say things like, you deserve that stage because you've suffered so much to get to this place. You deserve that attention. You deserve that position. You deserve the notoriety because you've gone through so much. They just don't understand you. But to that, I want to tell you, my friend, that nothing that we have been through can ever compare to him, what he went through for you. So what he chooses for you and what he decides to do with you is what matters. And it's perfect because he knows the heart of men. In fact, you may be standing right next to someone who went through so much more than you ever did, but you have no idea of it. The Bible says that only God can search the heart and know the intents of men. God knows what's in us. He knows what we've been through. He knows our level of faithfulness. And it says that if we're faithful in the little, he will make us ruler over much. So we've got to step back and look and say, you know what? I trust him. I trust his wisdom. I trust his omnipotence. I trust that he knows the end from the beginning and he knows what I've been through and he knows what they have too. And he's going to put the right person in the right place at the right time. And I'm going to trust him for it. And it's not my place to second guess that. It's my place to praise him in my position. To thank him in my waiting. To appreciate him in my training. And to trust him for my revealing. 
I love the passage where the Apostle Paul says that I would have fainted. In other words, I would have failed. I would have given up had I not remembered the sufferings of Christ. We all go through great sufferings in this life, some more than others. Some people's suffering is very public and visual. Some people's is very private and internal. And we just don't know what every person has endured for the sake of the faith or for obedience to the Lord. But one thing I do know, my God is just, and he will reward every man according to his works and his faithfulness. So if he chooses to bless another or to position or to promote, then I've got to humble myself and praise him for their blessing. Because if it was given by his hand, then they deserved it. And if it was not from him, then he will deal with it in the end because God will not be mocked. Yes, there are counterfeits. Yes, there are those who position themselves. Yes, there are those who usurp. But I am telling you, my friend, that I've been in this long enough to know that God is still on the throne and he will always move to expose eventually. So walk in humility and wait upon the Lord because it's not our place to take vengeance. It's our place to pray, to preach the truth and to wait for him to step in himself and prove it. When you stand in faith on what the Lord has spoken to you, I assure you, he will validate. He will vindicate. It won't always be easy. There's going to be time and opportunity there for you to step into offense or to try to take matters into your own hands and lose the promise. But if you endure till the end, you shall be saved and he will validate. So trust him and don't get too impressed with your own suffering. But if you endure, you will receive the reward in due time. And in the process to keep yourself in line, remind yourself of the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah 52, 14 says, As many were astonished at thee, his vestige was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the son of men. In other words, what this is saying is that there was no human that ever existed in the history of the planet that was more marred than Jesus was. The word of God says that he was unrecognizable as a human being. It means nobody ever endured more suffering and had to live lived through it. His body was so beaten, battered, swollen, torn more than any man that ever was before or ever will be. No one will ever endure what our Lord has endured. So pick up your cross and follow after him and shake off the lies and the pride of the enemy that's trying to tell you that you deserve attention or position or the applause of men because of your suffering, because Jesus did not get it, and he endured more than we did. In fact, he was despised and rejected even in the midst of it. So when people come against you and slander you and spit on you, don't think you have any right to hold offense. Remember what Christ did. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Paul gave us this example and instructions in Hebrew chapter 12 verse 1 when he said, Wherefore, seeing that we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which does so easily beset us. In other words, everyone's watching, their eyes are on us. So throw away the pride, throw away the offense, throw away all of those weights that so easily beset us, cause us to ruin our testimony. But instead, he says, let us run the race with patience that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him did endure the cross, though he despised the shame of it, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In other words, don't be so arrogant. You haven't been through that much compared to him. So I want to end this segment by saying, yes, God is pleased with obedience. But is he impressed to the point of appeasing your entitlement because of what you have endured? No, it will never compare to the sacrifice of our Lord. We're putting things in priority today because the Bible says that God pours more grace upon the humble. And I think that there are times when we all need to sit back and examine our heart and the things that the enemy speaks into our ears so that we can respond to them properly in humility, that God be able to pour his grace upon us because grace is favor, power, and divine influence. And we need these things in this final hour. So we need to learn how to walk in humility. And we've got to recognize the tactics of the enemy when he begins to put these things in front of us and tell us that God is impressed with the things that we esteem when in reality they're a stench to his nostril because they're rooted in pride and arrogance. In reality, God is more impressed with our faith. So the second question I'm going to ask you today is, do you think God is impressed with your big church, your big building, your fancy facilities, or even your nice home? And to that, I tell you no, because our architecture cannot compare to his. He is the God of the universe. He made the mountains. He holds the oceans in his hands. He spins galaxies in motion. What makes us think that he would ever be impressed with the work of our hands, a big stage or a fancy building? These are the things that impress man, not God. In Acts chapter 7 verse 48, it says, How be it the Most High dwelleth not in temples made by hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house can you build for me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all things? As humans, we put too much credence on the things that people like as opposed to what God likes. Remember that God who is omnipotent and all-powerful, who could have come to this earth in a mighty palace, chose to be born in a barn like a baby lamb, the embodiment of humility. He left the big city with the Bible colleges of the day and all the men of renown and went out into a small fishing town to gather his disciples. He chose the humble. He chose the least of these. He chose the simple things. He worked with his hands in the dirt. In fact, it says that he had no place to lay his head. He did not even have a home. 
one of my favorite passages that shows the difference between the thought processes of God and of most men is found in Matthew chapter 24 verse 2. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be here one stone left upon another that shall not be torn down. Let me explain to you what's happening here. You've got to recognize that the temple of this time was one of the grandest in all of history. It had recently been remodeled and modernized and it was full of all of the latest technology and the latest luxury and it was beautified. It was the most impressive thing in all of the land. And so when Jesus and the disciples passed through it, they told him, look at this, look at this beauty. And in their heart, they're probably thinking, oh, what a great honor to God that we've put so much into this building project to make this temple so wonderful, so splendid, so impressive. And Jesus's response to it was, there will not be one stone here left upon another. There's two reasons for this. First, Jesus did not want them putting their heart and their mind on material things because God knows that in the end, it's going to all be ash. Nothing on this earth is designed to last but the souls of men. But there's something else happening here because you see it was Herod that commissioned this building process. Herod was the one who came in and brought the finances and was responsible for the beautification the modernization, the glitz and the glam that was added to this temple by the hands of man. Herod was the same man who had spent the first years of Jesus' life hunting him to kill him. He was an archetype for the Antichrist. So here we have the disciples so impressed with this big church and all its fanciness. And they're saying to Jesus, look at this. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it great? Isn't it impressive? And in his heart, Jesus is saying it's all going to burn. It was built by the Antichrist spirit. I think that the modern church is so very guilty of this. We put so much credence and measure of success on who has the biggest, fanciest building, the most lights, the nicest stage, the biggest TV screens, the best personalities. And we present it to Jesus and we say, look how beautiful, how splendid, how glamorous it is. Aren't you impressed with this? And in his heart, he's saying, it's all going to burn in the end. It was built by an antichrist spirit. God is not impressed with the works of man's hands. He is the architect. You can't add to him. He gives us his plan and we submit to it and that is it. When you add to it, when you try to outdo it, you are saying that your will, your logic, your idea, your plan is better than his. You want to incorporate the world in it to draw people in. And all you're doing is attracting those with the wrong spirit. You see, there is great power through scripture in a unified church. But I think that we get it wrong when we think big equals unified. That's not scriptural. 
You can have a million people, but if they don't have the same spirit, if they're not following the leading of the Holy Spirit, they are not unified and God will have no part in it. This is why every major revival in history was actually started by only a very few. Because it's easier to be unified with a few than with many. And when the faithful few who choose to believe God and follow the leading of His Spirit begin to usher in what God had intended for them, others then see it and are drawn to it. And then they believe it and will obey it. But the problem is we try to put the cart before the horse. We try to bring the masses in before God has even stepped in to prove or validate or move to show us what it is that he wants to say. Because miracles don't come for no reason. They don't come for people's glory. They don't come to start a new ministry. God is not impressed with any of these things. Miracles come to validate the message. So you've got to get a very few people, a handful that are truly seeking the Lord God Almighty to get the right word from heaven. And then once they deliver it, he will step in to validate it and then draw men in to receive it and be changed by it. This is how revival works. This is how it's always worked. God doesn't need a million people to birth something in this earth. He changed a nation with one man when he sent Jonah in. In fact, if we look at all the stories throughout scripture, it always came through one or two or a faithful few. So don't think that you're too small or insignificant for God to use you. He's not impressed with those big things that we see on the TV screens. In fact, in most cases, he's disgusted by it. Just like he said through the prophet Isaiah, when he said that the masses of you, the multitudes, you come before me and you raise your hands and act like you adore me, but you don't obey me. Your life is still full of sin and pride and selfishness. And because of it, I hate your worship. I will have no part in it. Away with it. I won't even look at it. Much less step into it. God is not impressed with the flash and the glam and the presentation or the counterfeit manifestations of the Antichrist spirit. Do you know why a church needs all of these things? Because it's a counterfeit of the true glory. Because they know God is not stepping in, so they've got to entertain men instead to keep them coming. You don't have to advertise a fire, my friend. When God is there and he's ready to reveal, he's going to open the floodgates and nothing will keep the fish away. If God is truly with you, but no one seems to see you, it's because God hid you. And it's not time for your revealing. Wait patiently and trust him. And do not leave Jerusalem until you have been endowed with power from on high. Because if you do, you will begin to move in pride and in your own strength. And you will have to compromise and depend on the bread of Herod and the Pharisees to draw in the masses and feed the people. But if you trust in the Lord, who brings manna from heaven. He can make something out of nothing and feed the masses with a few loaves and fishes. And when he does, his bread will be unleavened. No sin, no corruption, just perfection. And he alone will get the glory 
for it. No, God is not impressed with what you can put together, with what you can build with your own hand, with your skills or your talents. But he is impressed with those who have the faith to wait on him and to trust him to do what the works of no man's hands can. Remember, God is the architect of the whole world. He made it, and he made it knowing that he will destroy it. Like a sandcastle built on the beach, he formed it, he shaped it, and when done, he will wipe it away. So do not think that he is impressed by anything that you build today. He is impressed by those who have the faith to pray and wait upon the Lord. Next question I want to ask you is, do you think that God is impressed with your money, your gain, or your increase? Of course not. Our provision, finances, or followers cannot compare to his. Psalms chapter 50 verse 10 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. This is the word of God. He's saying, I don't need anything from you. Everything already belongs to me. I can do what I want to. I think we waste a lot of time running after money and gain and increase and popularity. And all it really is doing is manifesting a lack of faith in him, his provision, and his ability. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Let our conversations be without covetousness and be content with such things as he has given us. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. In other words, stop depending on money. Stop depending on prosperity. Stop coveting to look like the next ministry, the one you see on TV or down the street, or maybe the one that came last week. Because when you go out and do these things, you are building with your own hands and saying that the Lord is not your provider. He's not going to be able to do this thing. You give up your testimony and you give up your ability to give God glory for stepping in in miraculous ways. No, God is not impressed with your money or your gain or your increase. In fact, He hates our dependency on it because it steals glory from him and it steals our attention. It steals us away from that place of prayer and desperation where we can actually reach out to him and pull the power of the kingdom down. We're depending in mammon, an idol, a false god. Why do you think our money still says in God we trust when it has been removed from every other area of our country? It's because the money is the God that Americans trust in and the declaration of it is right before their eyes my god is able to provide he is able to turn the loaves and the fishes into masses drawn for salvation we don't need big stages we don't need flashy lights now are these things in and of themselves wrong no not really but if you depend upon it if your faith is in it if you think you need it to see a move of god then it's idolatry. I've seen God move to heal people in the middle of a field. We did a small revival in a park and God healed a woman instantly of leukemia. God has his ways. 
He doesn't need our stage. And he's not impressed with it. In fact, when we think that we need it, his heart is broken by it. He's not impressed by the big crowds. In fact, let me encourage some pastors right now. The world says that the standard of a successful ministry is to have many people following it. But that has not been true biblically. In fact, when the masses were drawn in because that Jesus began to feed them the loaves and the fishes, it says that the very next day they came back to him wanting more handouts. And when he refused to give it out because that he knew that they were coming for the presentation and not for him personally, they all betrayed him and left him. And he turned to the disciples and said, will you leave us too? And he was back again with just his faithful few. Jesus didn't have a multitude of followers, but he changed the world with a few. Because unity with the Spirit being led by the Spirit of God is more important than having a million people with their own agenda. We look at those throughout Scripture that God says were the most successful. Moses, it says, was the meekest man in all the earth. What an accolade from God himself. But in actuality, of the over two and a half million people that originally followed him out, boy, that's a big congregation. They followed him out of Egypt and were marching headlong towards the promise. Only two of that original two and a half million actually made it in. So if you have more than two truly faithful, spirit-led people in your congregation, you're actually doing better than Moses did. Remember that Noah preached for a century. He preached faithfully. He preached righteousness. Though all the world came to mock and ridicule and reject him and in the end saved only his own family. So pastor, if you have more than just your own immediate family in your church that are submitted and humbled to the work of the Lord, then you're doing better than Noah did. See, we're so twisted in our concepts of success. It's not about the masses. It's about their obedience. It's about their faithfulness. It's about their commitment and submission. It's about their endurance. You can have a congregation of a hundred thousand, but if they're all in sin and compromise and rebellion and disunity and disagreement with the word of God, then you've got nothing in the end. But you can invest your life into two or three or four or five that are truly brought into newness of life and walk in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit being submitted to it. And you've done more for the kingdom than most men alive. I want to tell you a story really quickly that my dad often tells from the pulpit. When he was a child, there was a woman that lived down his street and it was her heart's ambition to be a missionary to go to India or China or Africa. And she wanted so desperately to serve the Lord in, in this capacity. But God told her, no, your mission is here on this street. And so it broke her heart in a way because she was looking at these grand things that she had read in stories and she wanted to be part of something big. But she was obedient to the voice of the Lord and this is what truly impresses him. Faithfulness when it does not make sense. So she committed every day that as the children came to gather to play with her children, she had Bible study every morning. Even before they went off to school, they had to come and sit and have Bible study at her house. And she had this group of kids that would come and, and she would teach them. She discipled them. She made them her mission. 
And out of that group of kids, five different ministries were birthed into the earth. My dad being one of them whose ministry I was brought up in. So even you being ministered to right now, that reward is laid on her because she sowed into it. She had a part to play in it because of her faithfulness. She was obedient to do what God told her to do, even though it seemed so insignificant. Her reward in heaven will be far greater than those who just went to the nations because they thought there was glory in it. And yet there's not much that they really have to show for it. But this woman will receive the reward not only for her work, but for everything that came from it. For every soul that was reached by those five different ministries that those five different children grew up to lead. And then those ministries that were birthed from them. Now in the third generation in my father's ministry and it's spreading out and those that are being raised up underneath us and going out into ministry, all of it goes back to her obedience and she will be rewarded greatly for all of it. God is not impressed with the grandeur that you think he is. He's impressed with the faith that will walk in obedience when it doesn't make sense and when it looks like you're getting nothing for it. Moses was faithful to lead this rebellious people all the way across the wilderness, knowing he would get nothing for it. He could not even enter into the promise, but he was willing to sacrifice. He gave up the big stage. He gave up the titles and the names. He gave up the notoriety. He gave up the riches. He was in line to be a Pharaoh. He could have been ruler over the known world. He gave up all of these things that we esteem to be demonstrations of success. He could have had all of it. But the Bible says that he esteemed the suffering of Christ of greater value than all of the treasures of this world. And he was willing to walk out of it into a wilderness to lead a people that were disobedient and only two of them entered into promise with him to lead the next generation. And he didn't even get to partake in it. Yet even to this day, we are still reading his name. Great is his reward where it counts in history and in eternity because he will forever be commended by the Lord. I'm not so worried about having people applaud me or agree with me or think anything highly of me. I am more concerned with being pleasing to my king so that when I go before him that day and I bend the knee, he will say, well done, my good and faithful one. Enter into your rest. I want to be commended by the best, by the Lord, by God himself, because he's the only one that matters to me. No, he's not impressed by the glitz and the glam or the money or the multitudes or notoriety. He's impressed by humility. Do you think that God is impressed with your manicured properties, your clout, or your reach of influence? No, our property or our territory can't compare to his. Our reach of influence, what will it amount to in the end unless we use it to bring souls in? Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand 
and measured out the heavens with the span and comprehendeth the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. It always amazes me when we give such credence to the titles of men, rather they be ministry titles or academic titles or societal titles. We see doctor, we see judge, we see bishop, prophet, apostle, whatever, and we think that that means something. God's not impressed with it. He's not impressed with our big properties. It can be lost in a moment. He's not impressed with our notoriety. In fact, when we think something of these things, I think it's a stench in his nostril and a pain in his heart. Because that it minimizes the reality that we think that we have something to offer in the face of the God who weighs the waters of the ocean in the hollow of his hand. And yet the titles of men, most of the time given by other men, have some worth to it. In verse 15, it says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. We think having a doctorate or being a judge or a lawyer or something of notoriety or a celebrity or having a long title that proclaims our place in ministry is something to him when he's saying that kings don't even mean anything to me. He says in verse 15, The nations are but a drop in the bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up whole islands as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient to be a burnt offering to the majesty that is our king. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing. Oh, we give so much credence to our beautiful ministries and businesses and properties and titleships and all of these things. And yet God is saying that he counts whole countries as less than nothing. What do we think that we have to offer him? It's worse than nothing. It says that it is vanity. He counts them less than nothing and vanity. To whom will we liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare to him? We try to build these grand things to impress him. But in actuality, we're not impressing him. We're really trying to impress men. And God says it's all vanity. It's vanity. It's vanity. Because if we truly know our king, if we will open up the scripture and read, if we will get on our knees and talk to him, then we will understand that he is not impressed by any of it. So the fact that we want it, long for it, seek after it, proves that we are moving in pure vanity. It's nothing to him. In fact, he said it's less than nothing. To me, the only thing that can be less than nothing is is to go in the opposite direction and start becoming things that are detestable to him. God searches the intent of the heart. Is a nice yard wicked? No, of course not. Or masses of people coming a bad thing? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what is your faith in? Are you trusting in him to do it? Are you seeking to please him at all costs? Not being worried about what men think, even if God wants to use the simple things. 
or are you still stuck in that antichrist spirit ideology that is more impressed with the works of man's hands and making other men impressed with it that you have something to do with it than in allowing God to step in and do what none of it can do and disprove it to the nations because God is ready to move to prove that he is God and Baal is not. But if we use all of the things of Egypt to build it and to get ahead of him and to make it happen, then all we're really doing is making men impressed with mammon. We're doing what the disciples did. Oh, Jesus, look at our big ministry. Aren't you impressed with it? When all the while Jesus is saying, there's not one stone going to be left upon another in the end. It's all going to be ash in the end. It's nothing. It's less than nothing. It's vanity. And more than that, it was made by the spirit that tried to kill me. I'm not impressed with it. I'm sickened by it. And I think it breaks his heart that we're so drawn to it. Now understand Jesus' heart. He still went into the temple to preach the word of the Lord, even though every time he did, they tried to kill him for it. Because his heart is for souls, for the individual, for the person, for the only thing that's going to last. The only thing that's going into eternity. The only thing that he values in this kingdom is that which can enter into his, the souls of men. Let us set our sights on them and not on the kingdoms of men. And finally, I have to ask, do you think that God is impressed with what you know? No, our understanding cannot compare to his. And this issue, I think, causes more problems in ministry than anything else because that we will not humble ourselves to pray and seek his face for his wisdom. We get a vision and then we run and try to do it in our own understanding because we truly think that our wisdom is sufficient. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13 says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor, who has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge? And showed to him the way of understanding? In verse 28 it says, Hast thou not known and hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heaven and earth, he faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and become weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall not fail. They will not lose because they have chosen to put their trust in the Lord. And wait upon him. So God we repent of all of these things today. We repent in trusting in our own wisdom. Our own strength and our own logic. That we have any ability to accomplish the mission. Or the vision that you've given us. Except but to get on our knees and seek your face. And wait for you to speak clearly with confirmation. Because your word says to test the spirits. 
because many spirits have gone out into the world, especially that antichrist spirit that is so good at counterfeiting and causing men to worship him and the things of their own making rather than God and taking things out of God's hands and plans. God, we repent of them. And he causes us to do it all while we're thinking that we're impressing him. God, we repent of it. You can do what no man can do. We are going to pray and seek you. We're going to obey when you speak to us. We're going to step out in faith and we're going to deliver the word and wait for you to move to validate. Because it's not about men and it's not about our ministries. It's about the word. Miracles come only to validate the message. Everything must be built around the word. And until we've heard a word from you, we are moving in our own intellect. So God, we repent of thinking that all of these things are impressive because it just shows pride. It's a Cain sacrifice. We're impressed with the works of our own hands. We're impressed with what we have brought forth and we're presenting it to you and saying, Lord, you worship it too. Participate in our self-idolatry and you're saying it's not pleasing to me. I never told you to do this. The Bible says that Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord because it was righteous. Righteous means to be in right standing. In other words, Abel sought the Lord and the Lord told him what to do. But Cain, he didn't do what God said to do. He did what he thought was good, what would feel good to him, what would look good to him, what would actually give him some glory because it was the work of his own hand and it wasn't that sacrificial in the end. But he, Abel, he did what God told him to do. He humbled himself. He sought the Lord and he followed his instructions because what God gave for him to do was about the message. He told him to sacrifice a lamb, one that he loved without blemish. He was bringing forth the message of Jesus Christ. It's always about the message of Jesus Christ. When Philip preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, it says that many were healed and many were delivered of demons and miracle signs and wonders came to confirm because it's not about us. It's not about our platform. It's not about our presence or our ministry or anything that we can build on this earth because it's all going to burn. It's all about validating the word. So get in the word, get in prayer, hear him, meet him there, and then bring it out in purity without compromise, without sugarcoating, without altering it. Lay the truth out and God will validate it. This proves your faith in him and it's the only thing that will impress him. What will impress God? He's impressed when he tells us to do something that we cannot do. And we know that we cannot do it. And we acknowledge that we cannot do it. Yet we still stand in faith believing that he can. He's not impressed by anything that we can do. He's only impressed when we show faith that he can do what we cannot do. And that we believe that he will no matter what. This is the faith of Abraham. He didn't see how God could do this, but he had faith in him to do it. So God said, go out, walk in faith, and I'll give it to you. And so he did. The Bible says that he will deliver the promise after that we have walked out the will of God. He wants us to prove that we believe him through the wilderness. He doesn't want us to take matters into our own hands and try to make it happen. 
or try to build a kingdom in the wilderness. He wants us to follow his leading, believing, fully persuaded that he can get us through the wilderness to the promise by miraculous means. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is in Matthew chapter 8 where the centurion goes to Jesus when he asked Jesus to heal his servant because he lies sick with the palsy. And Jesus begins to go to his house to lay hands on him and pray. And the centurion stops him and says, no, I am a man of authority, so I understand authority. I am of a high authority, so when I give orders to the people underneath me, they go and do what need be done. I don't have to do it myself. So I know that you can just speak the word and my servant shall be healed. And it says, Jesus marveled. God in the flesh was impressed at the man's faith because he understood authority. What the man was actually saying is that I believe that you are higher than the very angels. I believe that you're God. And because I believe that you are the higher authority, you can just speak the word and all the power of the kingdom must go forth to achieve it, to accomplish it miraculously. He didn't have to know the how. He didn't have to help him work it out. He had faith that he was God and that nothing was impossible for him and that all he had to do was seek him out and all God had to do was speak it out. And it impressed God. So God, we want to impress you today. We want to impress you with faith. Faith in your power, in your authority. Faith in who you really are. That you are God. That all of heaven answers at your breath. That all of creation quakes at your word. That when you speak, creation obeys and is that you cannot speak without it being because your breath is creation. Oh God, we believe in it. And so we ask you today that you do what no man can do, that you bring mass salvation and deliverance and revival to this nation and generation. And we're not going to speak of the material things or give it any credence. We're not going to pierce your heart by expecting you to be impressed with the works of man. Or with the culture of the land. Or with the ways of the Antichrist. Spirit and manifestations and churches. God, we're going to trust you to bring the real thing. And we're asking you to do it supernaturally. God, I believe by faith because I understand your authority. And though I know that in and of myself I can do no good thing, I know that you live on the inside of me so you can do all manner of thing through me. So God, we yield our vessels to you to speak your truth no matter who it displeases because we're not about impressing people. We're about impressing you. God, put your word within us and let it come forth from us so that you can validate it for us. We want to see God glorified. We want to see the name of Jesus come alive. We want to provoke others unto faith in the word of God and unto good works to produce the fruit and character of God. We want to bring people to the truth. And this is a message that you will validate with miracle working power that only by the name of Jesus Christ can man be saved, but that they can also be changed, delivered, set free free 
and put on the path of destiny and eternity to be with you forever. That it's not about me. That it's not about a ministry. That it's not about notoriety. That it's about the word of God. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came and gave his life to pay the price. That we might be brought into the family of God again. That we might have his spirit within us and walk in the authority of kingship not because of who we are but because of what he did we believe it we profess it and we believe in him to validate it God we stand in faith and obedience and humility because these are the only things that are impressive to you not in physical things Not in being made kings of our own little kingdoms, but in seeking you and following and submitting and obeying you as king. We want you to rule in this land, in our lives, in our hearts, in our churches again. God, whatever the price, it's worth it as long as you step in and get worship in the end. God, I know you can do what you have promised and you don't need my help to do it but if you see fit to use me then I'm surrendered to it just speak the word and our land shall be healed because God I'm not impressed with any of these things either because I know they don't impress you I'm not impressed with stages and lights and Notoriety and attention and the masses and fancy buildings and nice homes and and clothing and materialism and vanity, vanity, vanity. It's all vanity in the end. I'm impressed with selflessness. I'm impressed with the fruits of the Spirit. I'm impressed with humility. I'm impressed with those who are willing to speak your truth. When no one wants to hear it, I'm impressed with righteousness. Nothing more and nothing less. Because anything else comes from the influence of the Antichrist spirit. It's the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.